You're listening to Ed Curation, the podcast where teachers talk curriculum. We make it easier for educators to find the resources they need to create fresh, lively, and authentic learning. I'm excited today to have Roger Chow here on the Ed Curation podcast where teachers talk curriculum. Although Roger isn't a teacher today in his current job, he has been an educator for his entire career. He's now working as an adjunct professor at the University of Northern Colorado at the Center for Urban Education, where he is helping to influence the future teaching lives of many urban educators. Roger's been working in a number of large urban school districts across the country and just brings a wealth of information to the show today. So I'm excited to have him here. Hi, Roger. Hey, Jim-Marie, I'm excited to be here. So I know I've known you for a good 15 years or so, but how long total have you been working in education? I started working in education in Fort Lauderdale, Florida in 1995. I was a paraprofessional at an elementary school because one of my friends was getting her degree in elementary ed, and she told me that she thought that I would make a great teacher. And so she invited me to her classroom. It was a school, high poverty, African-American. And as soon as I walked in, all the boys just ran up to me. They were like first and second graders. And they would not leave my side for the whole day. Mm. And that's when I knew that this is what I wanted to do for my career. Yeah, that's funny. I started in 1995 as well in a high poverty school in Santa Ana, California. But there's nothing like being able to influence young people and be a positive role model for them. And so I know you've been able to do that throughout your career. Tell us more about what keeps you coming back to education year after year. What keeps you working in this field? Well, the truth is there are lots of things you can do with your life to make positive change in the world. And when I first got out of college, my main focus was to earn as much money as possible. What I realized shortly into that endeavor was it didn't make me happy. What makes me happy is serving. What makes me happy is seeing people become successful who traditionally might not have those opportunities. So for me, education fits all of those things that I choose to do. Number one, serve and to give other people opportunities. And as long as that continues to be the focus of my work, I'll do, I don't see myself truly retiring I see myself continuing to support and serve communities in that way. Now, as I enter the university, as opposed to doing the work that I did for the educational systems, public schools primarily, I can now start serving those systems by providing quality educated teachers who can go into the school and be ready. One of the things that I found challenging and interesting when I was an administrator and a director was there's lots of different ways you can educate students to be great teachers. But more than that, they have to be retrained once they enter a school system. And that's not the fault of the university. It's simply that everyone has a different methodology and practice that they want their students to understand. But the main thing that I saw missing was kids were really unprepared to deal with students that come from poverty, low socioeconomic diversity. And so for me, I'm excited to get involved in this work because that has been my entire career. That's right. And so coming from large urban school districts and serving in every role from a paraprofessional to a teacher, to a coach, to a district administrator, tell me what overall you've seen works best in helping students achieve. Well, number one, 
there's a challenge with all educational systems when the main focus is on one single test. It changes the whole dynamic of how education should unfold for kids. And what I mean by that is if everything is dependent upon one test in April, May, or March, then the focus of helping kids become cognitive thinkers is abandoned. And what happens is school then becomes a place where kids are fed information for a specific period of time in which they simply regurgitate. And then there's no real application of how to utilize your cognitive brain in a way that allows you to solve difficult problems, problems that you may encounter as you become a young person, as you become an adult, as you become a working member of society. So for me, it's really about getting kids to have the ability to work with difficult, challenging problems, regardless of content, and allow them to think thoughtfully and deeply, solve those problems in unique and different ways. When we're preparing kids solely for passing a state exam, you can't do that. So many teachers, administrators have told me in the past when I have suggested alternative ways to educate their kids, they say, well, we can't waste time on that because we have to make sure that they pass the test. And then what happens for the kids is the kids slowly understand that this is not a process of me becoming smarter through education. This is a process of me simply being a parent to memorize materials so that on some level, the school, the school system, the state demonstrates that on some level, I'm smart, I can pass this test. And that has been the greatest destruction of our educational system that I see over the last 15 years. Right. They learn to play the game of school. It's not a game that they're really that interested in because it's meaningless. Yeah, of course. And it's funny because as I've watched kids over the last 10 years, it used to be kids started to see school as something less than ideal, you know, around late middle school, into high school. Now I see it as early as third grade. They understand what's happening to them. They may not be aware cognitively, but they feel that something is not right in what they're getting. And so then they say, I don't want to be part of this. And so things go awry for them. Things go awry for schools. Things go awry for teachers. I believe there's many different ways that you can get the goals that the federal government are asking you to do, but encompassing an educational process that allows them to really embrace school once again. You can do all of those things, but they're not doing it in a way that I think supports kids, the schools, or the system. Yeah, and yet there are still little pockets of genius going on all over this country in spite of the political trends. And so I know that you are excited to share with us one of the resources that you've found to be successful in classrooms. Tell us about Read and Write. Is it called Read and Write? It's called Read Write. Read Write. Okay, tell us about Read Write. So when I was in Tacoma, we were looking for a program to support our struggling readers. Now, this is just a national issue. Kids aren't reading very much today. And I was talking with someone the other day on a golf course who was a teacher, a social studies teacher from Wisconsin, and he was sharing with me the fact that he's a high school teacher and his kids can't read. And so this is just something that's happening nationally. So I met Dee Tadlock. One of the assistant superintendents had used it in her high school and had been trying to get people to try it in Tacoma. But for some reason, people wouldn't try it. So as a director of curriculum, I said, okay, let's pick one school and we'll give it a try. So we chose Gray High School. And I met Dee. And she is this really quirky, brilliant PhD who created this program because her son struggled with reading as he grew up. And as a K-12 
caring mom, she said, well, I'm going to become a reading teacher so I can help my son and help others. So she went all the way, get her PhD, but still was unable to get her son to read effectively. So then she took an alternative route and she went into cognitive brain research and she studied on how the brain actually functions through MRI scans when reading happens. And she discovered something that she said was unique to her and what she was trying to discover. And what she told me, it was hard to believe because I was a reading specialist. I was a reading teacher and I went through the same process that all reading teachers do, which is phonics or whole language or a variety of mixture in between. And what she said was those things are important, but they really don't determine whether someone is able to read. She said people read through the ability of anticipatory setting. What that means is when someone reads anything, their brain, because it's a meaning-making device, well, before you get to a sentence or a word or a paragraph, it will scan the page and begin to make meaning of it. And she did several simple things to me to demonstrate how this works. She gave me a sheet of paper in which there were letters, and she goes, can you read this? Now, there was no real words on it, but there was enough words that I could absolutely make out the paragraph. And she goes, how is it that you can read that without the phonetic awareness of certain letters or vowels or continents that are in the wrong place? I said, I'm not sure. She goes, because your brain, after years of you being a proficient reader, can make sense of these things because it's making meaning. And then she showed me another tool that she uses, which is when kids are learning to read or kids who are struggling with reading, she said, if you have kids with headphones on and you have them follow with their fingers the sentence and then turn it off and have them read it, kids always read it correctly because the brain has then made meaning of the sentence, the paragraph or the page and then the kids can read it back. So her process is one in which she has kids listen to proficient readers, and then the kids turn off the recording, and then they read it themselves. And it's amazing. What we found was the kids who actually followed her program, who had severe reading issues from kindergarten to ninth grade, were able to recorrect their reading problems in nine weeks. Wow. It was startling and stunning and unbelievable, but it worked. And so in other words, what she told me, which transformed my thinking as well, was most kids who have reading problems have them for their entire life. They never go away. Mm -hmm. In other words, if you study reading in sixth grade or kindergarten, you'll have it through high school, through college. But she goes, if you do this program, the problem eliminates itself. So I was bought in and we used it at school and it had enormous successful results. Is it all ages? Who uses ReadWrite? All ages. Initially, she was targeting high school because she felt that the kids who were unable to read were unable to graduate, which is true. And so she worked in the high school level. And then she said, well, let's see if we can eliminate that before they get to high school. And so she did a middle school version. And then she goes, well, let's just go down the elementary level. So she has a K-12 program. Now, initially, the program was challenging for schools and school systems because it required a paraprofessional and one FTE in the room to facilitate the work. Now, you could have 15, 16, 17 kids in the room, but it was kind of a slow process. And so what would happen typically is you'd have a class set up of 15 kids, and then after they were done for nine weeks, you'd bring in another. But you could only get so many kids in a year. 
And so I remember telling Dee, you need to do something that can be done in the classroom. So she reached out to me last year and she said, Roger, took advice, and now I have a classroom version that teachers can do. So I was really excited about that. So the students go through the program for nine weeks, and then they just resume regular reading instruction at their grade level, or what happens then? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's the other piece, too. Those kids actually get up to grade level within the nine-week process. Now, when I say nine weeks, some kids may do nine weeks, some kids may do 15 weeks, but as long as they continue to the program, they will eventually read grade level faster than any other program in this country. And that's not an exaggeration. She has data. She was independently evaluated through several universities. The universities and the school systems that use her systems can testify to the validity of her program. I asked her at one point, because I looked at the data and I was amazed and I was like, wow, how come there's not everyone using this program? And her response was, the program requires a belief system around it which would upset the current trends that exist in the reading world. So if you think about this, Henry, all the people who are PhDs in reading, all the school systems who have coaches who have gone through traditional reading, they would have to admit and say, our programs don't work. And that would just upset that world. If you look at the data across the nation, kids are still struggling with reading. It's not like all the work that's been done over the last 50 years has changed it. Now, some kids may have improved their reading abilities, and some may have been able to navigate their way through at a higher level, but they still struggle with certain issues. Her program eliminates that. So, Roger, when you brought this into the schools in Tacoma, how did the students respond? The students loved it because for the first time, students were able to see themselves as readers. The one thing that we know to be true as educators is that students form belief systems about themselves as students through their educational process. I remember when I was in third grade, a well-meaning teacher said to me, Roger, you're not very good in math. And as someone who was eight years old, looking up to a teacher, I believed it. And I believed that my whole life. And I would tell people, oh, I'm not good math. And that one concept came from one teacher. So imagine a student in kindergarten and the teacher says, oh, Dibble says that you're reading below grade level. And then you go to second grade and Dibble says, oh, you're still below. We're going to put you on a read act plan. And then you go to fourth grade and you're still in the plan. You know what that does to a student's psyche and their mind and their confidence and their ability to determine whether they're actually successful at reading? It destroys it. And then by the time they get to high school, they have totally embraced this philosophy that I can't read. So when we took it to Tacoma, and these kids who were in sixth and eighth grade who had been on read act plans for their entire elementary process, and they finally were able to read independently and could make meaning of things they couldn't, they were just ecstatic. And here's one of the best parts. They just wanted to continue to read. We couldn't get enough books in their hands. Because it was like they were finally freed from the prison of the inability to read. And they wanted to absorb more and more. So it was a powerful experience for all of us. Roger, do you remember any particular stories or successes that any particular students or a teacher achieved using Read Write? Yeah. There was a teacher at Gray High School. She came to Denver two and a half years ago. And she called me and she said, Roger, let's meet. And so I met with her and her husband, and she goes, I just want to thank you for 
sharing with me the strategies that you brought to Tacoma, especially read right. She said, when I first met you, I doubted everything that you said because I'd been a teacher for 20 years and I was a reading literacy coach and I thought I knew everything I needed to know about reading. But I realized that in truth, I really wasn't very successful. Most of my kids weren't at grade level. Most of my kids could not pass the state exam. And I had rationalized it in many different ways. But in truth, it just wasn't working. And then when you introduced Read Write to me, I just saw the difference. I saw what happened when students finally broke the code and realized that reading was possible for them. It made her so happy. But it also, she got emotional because she said, I can't believe that I spent so many years spending so much time being ineffective for kids. I wish I would have had this program earlier. And for kids, it was interesting, too, because kids would run up to me when I'd come to the building and say, look, Mr. Chow, I've moved up four levels. Let me read something to you. And I'd sit there and they'd read, and, and then I'd ask them some questions, and they could make meaning of my questions and discover answers. And then I'd try to trick them and ask them more difficult questions, and they would have this powerful conversation with me. And I'm like, this is what needs to be happening with the reading programs mm -hmm. in our country. Now, this is a program that I believe is effective and helps kids. So I'm a big supporter. So there are certain type of classroom or teacher who you would recommend check this out? Or is it good for everyone? Or is it better for struggling readers? Tell us who should check out Read Write. So I think Read Write primarily is a function of reading teachers. I believe that kids who are struggling with reading at any level would benefit from this. Say, for example, you're a sixth grade teacher and your kids are struggling with reading. I would, as an administrator, have read-write as a mandatory class for those kids who are below grade level. And I would have that in the classroom so kids would circulate through their reading classes. You could also have it in a language arts program. If you're like a language arts teacher in any of the grade levels and your kids are struggling, you could do once a week, twice a week, maybe on Fridays have kids go through the read-write program so that they find ways to improve and eliminate their reading issues. And then also, too, it's probably a great option in the high schools as an elective class for kids who are struggling, who are not on grade level, or who want to improve their reading. And then at the elementary level, too, I think teachers should place that position in their language arts block. However you devise a 90-minute block, you could put a 20-minute read-write mini lesson in there at the beginning of the block so that kids have that cognitive mindset ready to go when they go into the reading program. So I think there's lots of ways that you can position this, but I think primarily it would be for language arts and reading. I think anyone who is in charge of curriculum, district curriculum should have this as part of their portfolio. No doubt about it. I wish I'd have known about this longer before I discovered it in Tacoma. I myself was a reading teacher, and I felt the same way that teacher in Tacoma felt, that I was working really hard for whatever reason. I wasn't as successful as I thought I should be. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, if you are a director of curriculum, if you are a superintendent, you should certainly look, even a high school principal or any principal at all, should look at this program long and hard. And so is the program such that the st it's student-directed and they kind of work on it on their own, or are there kind of supports for the teacher to lead instruction for the students? I'd say both. Mm -hmm. The primary focus of the program is that once the 
students learn how to access the program. It's an independent program. They have to learn how to access their materials. They have to learn how to use the recording devices. They have to learn how to use the headphones. And once they do that, then they can simply come into the classroom, grab their materials, put their headphones on, and read. Again, the process is a relatively simple one. They go, they listen to a proficient reader, then they stop, and then they reread. So you may say, I want you to read three pages. Mm-hmm. I, prefer, I want you to paragraph. Mm-hmm. Or I want you to read a sentence. And then they go back and they reread it, and then they start that process again. And then through that course, their brain is rewired to be able to use that process to read effectively. It's amazing. So what would you like to say to, is her name Dee Tadlock, who created Read Write? Yeah. Well, I got to say, she's brilliant. She is one of the most unique individuals I've met. She has a passion for what she's doing, and she did it from a mother's love. You know, she didn't do it to make money. She didn't do it to get her name on the wall of fame. She did it because she wanted to make sure that her son had the ability to be successful. And we all know that reading unlocks the key to education. You can't read. You can't access power of education. I have just a great deal of respect, professional love for her, introducing me to a program that wherever I work, I take with me. When I came back from Tacoma, I brought it to George Washington High School. You know, when I was working in Pueblo, I brought it to Pueblo. And it's the program that I think needs to be more widely used. Mm -hmm. I think in some level, if people would embrace this program, we wouldn't need REDAC plans. And when I see kids who can access reading after nine, ten weeks, it's shocking and exhilarating. It's a compelling testimonial, Roger. I bet we're going to have a lot of listeners looking into read right here on ed curation so tell me as you think forward and you support the up-and-coming teachers at the center for urban education at the university of northern colorado what kinds of resources do you think curriculum developers need to be spending time creating you know for the future what other resources do new teachers need to be successful one of the challenges for us as educators is that we don't know what the future holds for kids But one thing we do know for sure is that being able to solve difficult problems of any level is powerful. So for me, when I look at curriculum, I think, does this curriculum challenge kids in a way that allows them to think thoughtfully and seek solutions? Or is it simply just memorization, recitation, and regurgitation? Are kids simply asked to memorize some information and give it back to you in a form that, or does it push kids to think in unique and different ways. So whether it's math, whether it's social studies, language arts, the arts, I'm looking for a curriculum that is helping kids to move beyond just basic answers. I'm looking for things that are going to give kids opportunities to go above and beyond just telling me the right answer. I think one of the things that I shared with all the folks that I've worked with over my career is I want to see the 80-20 rule applied in instruction, 80% questions versus 20% answers to kids. I want kids to always find ways to push back on things that we are asking them to do and sharing with them. If we can find tools that can facilitate that level, we're going to have an amazing crop, an amazing generation of kids who are thinking well beyond just simply seeking answers. And I think that's the challenge for us as educators because kids do need to know things. There are information that helps them in that process. 
But I think too often it's dominated by you need to know this, you need to know this, you need to know that, you need to, and that after 12 years of public education becomes very tiring. It becomes tiring for me if I was in a situation at work where, you know, someone saying you need to know this, you need to know that. I want to be able to use my critical thinking skills. I want to be able to demonstrate that I have the ability to solve challenging problems. And so I think as you move forward in the work that you're doing, if you find content that facilitates that, that's going to be a huge success for school systems across this nation. Yeah, well, that's what we're working on. And so we're grateful to experts like you to share your resources that you've seen be successful and in your case, in multiple environments. So thank you so much for coming on the show today, Roger, and sharing with us about Read Write. I think many educators will be excited to check this out. Well, Tim Ray, it was a pleasure. I'm excited about what you're doing and I'm excited to see the great success you're going to have in the educational world. Thanks, Roger. We'll talk soon. We certainly will. Thank you for listening to Ed Curation. We hope you learned something today about a curriculum resource that produces fresh, lively, and authentic learning. Check out edcuration.com to find out more. That's E-D-C-U-R-A-T-I-O-N.com.